Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This is the first of three episodes this week for our church-wide breakthrough series. This week, Brian Heasley from 24-7 Prayer is joining us. Get ready for a powerful message titled, Where's Your Garden? As we delve into the essence of breakthroughs, understanding our identity in God, His gaze upon us, and the transformative impact of spending time with Him. This episode is about to bring insights that might just reshape your journey. Here's Brian Heasley with today's message. Thank you so much. It's so kind of you to welcome me here, and it's lovely to be with you. As Brian said, that's Brian with a Y. I'm Brian with an I, which is, I think, probably the correct way to spell it, but (laughs) he's in charge, so... uh, it's so good to be here. I'm, I'm the international prayer director for a prayer movement called 24-7 Prayer. We help and facilitate prayer all around the world. I, I oversee 20 different offices from Iran to Malaysia to Peru to New Zealand. I get to travel. I get to see a lot of different things. We, we also produce a little app called Lectio 365. I don't know if anyone ever tried that. You should give it a look. It helps you with your prayer life. It's something that we do. And... Uh, We basically, our aim is to serve the church. We are not a kind of independent prayer movement running around saying, this is what you need to do, church. We're actually here to serve the church in prayer. There was a guy called Arthur Wallace who once said, every great revival is preceded by prayer. Every great revival is sustained by prayer. And every great revival brings forth more prayer. Wherever I am seeing God move around the world, it tends to be people are praying. And so it's beautiful to be here and to be invited to be with you. And I hope you understand my accent. Now, we've got this thing in England. When it's snowy and icy, we grit the roads. So, we have the... so last night I went out and they took me out and I had shrimp and grits. <laughs> or grits and shrimp. And I was like, you can imagine what was going on in my head. I was thinking, is this going to be gritty? But can I just say, it was absolutely delightful. It, I, it was so good. I could have had a whole other bowl of it. It was just wonderful. So I, I, I love your food, and uh, it's so good to be here. It's my first time in South Carolina, and it's lovely to be with you. And my, the, today, I want to I look at something in relation to breakthrough, which is this. Where is your garden? Interesting question. Some of us live in apartments, some of us don't have gardens, but I want to talk about where is your garden today. So if you go home this evening or this afternoon and only remember one thing, remember this question, where is your garden? So let's have a little look in Genesis 3, verse 8 to 9. Uh, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Or in old English version, A.V., where art thou? I kind of, when I came here, I was kind of remembering that film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But I I don't know why I drew this, anyway. 
So this is a beautiful picture that we're going to unpack a little bit. But in my job, I get to travel, as I said. I think last year, I spent more than one entire week off the ground, just in an airplane. So I get to travel to lots of different places. And, and I know you, you're here and you're thinking, he's got an English accent. I have, but I'm from Ireland. Okay, I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I grew up there, and then my dad, who was a pastor, moved to England and to try and evangelize the English. And then it was there that I, I you know, went to school and stuff like that. And by the time I realized that my Irish accent would have helped me when I was 18 looking for a young lady, I'd lost it. And I just sounded like everybody else. And anyway, so, and I didn't want to fake it either. And so I had this opportunity a few years ago. I, went to, I go to Ireland quite a lot. And I was staying with this couple who I had never stayed with before. I was with another friend and we, we were doing some ministry in their church. And if you know anything about Northern Ireland, you will know that it's a divided nation around like republicanism and unionism and it's like uh, Catholics and Protestants. It's, there's been years of struggle in, in Ireland. And we get to this house and it's in a Protestant area and this beautiful Protestant church and I look and on the fridge, just before we were about to go to bed, I noticed they've got a photograph of the Pope, which is quite unusual for Northern Ireland. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting, but wonderful. You know, they're, they're obviously praying for the Pope. And that's great. It shows that they're reaching out and trying to, you know, heal the divide, bring the tribes together. And so as we were about to go to bed, I, I looked at the, the lady whose house we were in. I've never been there before in my life. And I said, it's wonderful that you have a picture of the Pope on your fridge. And she said to me, that's not the Pope, that's my mother. <laughs> there was no coming back. Do you understand? You can't go, oh, your, your mother looks like a very old Italian man. It just doesn't work, you know. I was trapped. And my friend Phil, who was with me, he just went, good night, and he just walked off. <laughs> I'm just left there, bumbling an apology, you know, saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, we do that a lot. In England, we say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, a lot. Well, actually, I was going into a museum the other day uh, in London, and the guy went, have you got any sharp instruments, any knives, any scissors, you know, when they search you? And British people go, I go, no, I'm really sorry, I haven't. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We just apologize all the time. So, but that was, I had reason to apologize with this Pope thing. And... Uh, we sometimes see what we want to see. We sometimes see what we want to see. And I don't know what you see when it comes to prayer. I don't know what you're expecting. I think probably we all think, I don't pray enough. Oh no, I'm gonna get beaten up this morning. I'm gonna leave feeling guilty. I'm gonna, you know, wanna, I have to, you know, increase my hours of prayer. Can I, can I just say that when I think about prayer, what I see is this, God's primary expression towards you is a smile. God's primary expression towards you is a smile. It talks about, in Ephesians, we are God's handiwork. It's a rather utilitarian description of handiwork. If you were to look into the Greek, it would be, uh, we are his poemic, his poetry. You are his masterpiece. When he looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of the sacrificed Christ and his blood that was shed for each of us. But he looks at you through the lens of Psalm 139, that you are fearfully 
and wonderfully made. He didn't mess up when he made you. He is a father whose face lights up when you walk into the room. When my son went traveling, I have two sons, they're older. Uh, when he went traveling around South America, when he came back and he, he walked through the airport, you know, I did not frown and say, where have you been, my son? I smiled, my face lit up. So when it comes to prayer, it's about us approaching a God who smiles at us, who looks at us lovingly, who doesn't come with heaps of judgment, but who looks and thinks, you're my child. Come and talk to me. Come and spend time with me. So prayer is you and I encountering the smile of God. It sounds better, doesn't it? Oh, just to me. <laughs> but it does. And so this word as well, encounter, I like the word encounter. Uh, prayer is you and I encountering the smile of God. The word encounter means to meet with someone, to contend, or we encounter a new situation. We encounter problems at work, or we encounter, as they said in those old movies, we will encounter the enemy at dawn. We have these, this word in our, you know, we, that we use, it's encounter, and we meet people. When I first encountered my wife, it changed my life. She was playing saxophone in the church worship band. I bring back the days of Bruce Springsteen's solo saxophone riffs in worship. No, I'm sounding really old now, aren't I? And there she was up the front in the 90s playing. She's not 90, it was in the 90s. Sorry, I didn't marry a very old lady. And there she was, there she was playing the saxophone and I'm thinking she's looking at me. Our eyes met across a crowded auditorium and every Sunday I'd come and I'd kind of worship, but I'd also like, you know, we, in England, we say, give her the eye. You know, I'd just be like looking, trying to look my most handsome, my most with it, you know, all of that. And, she, and, I, and I just thought, I'm winning. She's staring back at me. There's a, there's a connection. You know, you can just feel it like chemistry. Do you ever get that? You just, you, even still now as a married couple, do you ever get that? You look and it's just like, oh, I love you. And she was looking at me. I was looking at her. And eventually went out for a date. And eventually we got married. And she told me she's short-sighted. So she can't really... <laughs> She can't, she can't see beyond here. Everything is just a blur out there. And so I totally didn't you know, pick that one up, but hey, we're married now. I've been married for 31 years and actually got married on July the 4th, Independence Day. I call it Lose My Independence Day, but it's, uh, it was great. But it was an encounter that changed me. We all have encounters that change us. We encounter our spouses. The first time you encounter your children, probably not the first time, they continually change you. Uh, they change your bank balance. Uh, you, the, you, illness or you know, near-death experiences. We have these encounters with unemployment or with a new job or with tragedy or with new life or with conflict. We have encounters. And my encounter with God is the one that changed me. When I met Jesus, it changed my life. My encounter with him was life-changing. But my hope is that that encounter is not just a one-off. It's not something we just do once. We're called to encounter God on a regular basis. We're called to meet him as often as we possibly can. My encounter with Jesus did not just last for the day I found him. It's an ongoing relationship. This is the Christian walk. This is the way of Christ that we follow and we learn and we spend time with Jesus.
And so when I look, the Bible began with regular encounter. Genesis 3, verse 8 to 9, I'll read it again. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where art thou? There's an old commentator called Ellicott, and he says that this, the reflexive conjugation for the Hebrew verb around walking the first part that we notice is it was regular, that God walked regularly. It wasn't a one-off. The second part, which I found really fascinating when I, was, I found these really old commentaries, it was this. It would imply that God walked for pleasure, that man and God walked together for pleasure. And so there's this interesting moment of Adam and Eve at the end of the day in Mediterranean climes when they talk about the cool of the day. They mean when the work was done. So when the work was finished, whatever they were doing, stewarding creation, they walked with God in the cool of the day and they spent time walking for pleasure. They didn't just give him their list. God, please do this, please do that, please do this. I need you to help her, be with him, do that. Bless me, bless him, bless her, bless everybody. It was probably a bit more than that. It was a conversation. It was a spending time with. It was being in his presence. It was being with God. And it's an amazing thing. It says that they heard his footsteps. I don't know if you've ever played hide and seek, but to hear someone's footsteps, unless they're really clunky, you have to be still. You have to be quiet. And I just get this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve stilling themselves and listening and thinking, oh, here he comes. Here comes God. I can hear his footsteps. I can hear him approaching. It's almost like Psalm 46, verse 10, where it says, be still and know that I am God. Now, we do not live in a still world, but the Franciscan monks used to call that verse the gateway to prayer. Be still and know that I am God, the gateway to prayer. So the original plan was this, regular encounter. It's a sad verse, really, because it precedes the fall and all that went wrong. It's a set-aside time of walking and talking with God. God saying, where art thou? Have you ever wondered as well, do you think God really lost them? You know, the omniscient one, the all-knowing God, lost them. He didn't. He hadn't lost them. He was basically saying, where are you at? How's the state of your heart? So that was the, where art thou? It was not, oh, I've lost them. I've lost my two humans. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was where are you at? It was a graceful inquiry into the state of our hearts. And I guess that could fri frighten us when we come to prayer. But it shouldn't do when we remember that God smiles. He looks at us as his creation who are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we, we learn that the plan was God walking with man, man walking with God. And so we need to create spaces in our lives for regular encounters with Jesus, regular. And for me, that's a garden. Now I hear you say, Brian, we don't... What are you talking about? I mean, is it an English country garden? Have we all got to start growing roses and 
mooching about. No, the, the Hebrew word garden, which is quite actually very interesting because it's very similar to our English word. It's Ghana. And it means a kind of an enclosed, a covered, a hidden space. In, in the, it, when these verses were written, a garden was like a walled place. It was when you go to, say, Morocco or Seville or to Tunisia, they have these beautiful walled gardens with fountains and arches and trees and lemons and lemons and birds and oranges. And it's just a beautiful, tranquil environment that's enclosed and private. So when it's talking about, where's your, when I'm asking you, where's your garden? Where's that space that you have cultivated to spend time with Jesus? We need to find our garden. So for me, mine is a chair. Now, we didn't bring this with me from England because just, you know, the, the baggage fees would have been horrendous. And uh, every morning I get up, I get my Bible, I get my coffee. It's just here. I, uh, I, have, I have a journal and I spend an hour in my chair talking with Jesus. This has become my garden. I settle into it in the morning and I'm like, <sighs> I've cultivated a space to be with Jesus. And then throughout the day, the I know this sounds strange, but the feeling of the chair comes with me. I'll be in a meeting and I'll be like, you're here, God. I'll remember something I spent time wondering about whilst I was here in this garden in the morning. Now, for me, I work from home or else I'm traveling. So when I'm traveling, I can't take the chair, so it's slightly different. I also don't have small children running around in the morning driving me bananas, okay? So uh, let's, be, let, let's be honest. It's not, it's not easy to all of us spend an hour in the chair, if when our children were young, I'd have said to my wife, Tracy, I'm just going to chill in this chair with Jesus for an hour while she tried to wrestle two small people to school, things wouldn't have gone well. You know, not at all. And so there are seasons that we find ourselves in. But I think in those seasons, it would be good for us to think about where is my garden? For a while, I used to go to the gym. You can see that's probably slipped off a little bit, and definitely over Christmas, I was struggling to find a shirt to wear this morning that didn't have the buttons all kind of like, you know, pinging. Uh, I, was, I was worried I was going to sit down and a button would ping out and hit someone in the, in the crowd, but uh, you know how it is. I don't know. Do you eat a lot at Christmas here as well? Yeah, of course you do. It's America. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Should I go now? I'm sorry. That might. Uh, sorry. Sorry, I know you don't. You're, you all look incredibly healthy, actually. It's really good. And uh, so where was I? This is, this is the thing. Don't get off your notes and offend the crowd in two goes. That's dreadful. Uh, please forgive me. Uh, I've become rather discombobulated by that now. Let's uh, move on. Yes, yeah, so the gym. And so I've got these two sons, Ellis and Daniel, only two of them. And when I'm doing my bench presses, rather than just like, breathing and all the stuff you do when you're in the gym, I started to use the gym exercises as a way of lifting Ellis and Daniel up to Jesus. Lord, I lift my sons up to you. Ellis, Daniel, Ellis, Daniel. And then with other exercises, just introduced different things, you know. When I was on the running machine, I was, Lord, help the pastor of the church that I used to lead, help him to run with the vision, help him not to give up, help him to persevere. I turned the gym into the garden. It's just about being creative. Walking the dog. I don't know. I, I walked with Pastor Brian yesterday. We walked along a lovely little trail by a river. Beautiful. There were people walking their dogs. 
And imagine if that became your garden, that time where you talked with God, where you took your dog with you and you spent some time talking with Jesus. I had a dog when we lived in Spain. I would take him for walks, and all of a sudden I remember walking along the beach with him, praying to Jesus, and I heard a tourist cry out, the dog has got a seagull. (laughs) And my dog had managed to catch a seagull. Totally ruined the quiet time. Because you're in a whole other situation there, aren't you? Trying to basically rescue a seagull. Uh, but, but honestly, walk the dog. It's, it can become your garden. My friend, he, he, in England, if we drive for 30 minutes, we think we're driving a long way. Okay? So he was commuting, and he decided that he would turn the car into what he called his sanctuary, his place of prayer. It got a little strange when he was on his first date with his future wife, and he opened the door of his car, and he went, welcome to my sanctuary. But... <laughs> In general, it's a good thing to do. So it's not just about your chair, but where is your garden? Where is your place on a regular basis that you spend time with Jesus? Where do you cultivate his presence? It's it's a challenge to each one of us, but if we're going to grow in our faith, I don't genuinely believe that we can survive on one meal a week. I know we're going to do some fasting, but what I mean here is one spiritual Sunday morning meal. It's good, it's helpful, it's encouraging, but we need something to sustain us throughout all those other days. And that's your garden, your place of encounter, of meeting with God. And when I look, I see that Jesus uh, also prayed and had a garden. In Matthew 6, verse 6, Jesus says this, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And you know, with these simple words, he gives us some advice how to pursue a quiet time. Find a room. A guy called R.T. France says this, that this was an inner room, secluded, probably windowless, and possibly with the only lockable door in the house. It is thus proverbial for a secret place. Find a space, Jesus is saying, where you can, like an intentional location, and then you do this intentional action, close the door, and then you do this intentional interaction, talk to God. When it comes to developing and growing a prayer life, I've seen this over the years, is that intent is incredibly important. And, you know, we we have to actually make some choices and decisions. I love that R.T. France says it was probably a windowless room. He wrote this before Microsoft Windows. But I don't know how many windows you have in the morning, but I have the window on my phone, the window on my iPad, the window on my laptop, the window on my television, windows everywhere. I don't know where I go first thing in the morning, but sometimes if I get up and I think, do you know what, I just, (laughs) I check my Instagram. I'm on Instagram. That's the only one I'm on. I left all the rest. And I'm looking at, you know, Labradors rolling in mud. And I'm reels, and I've watched about 27 Labradors just disobeying their, their, you know, their dogs. And it's just like they're covered in mud, and I find it funny, and I'm chuckling. And then before you know it, 30 minutes of my life have been given over to Labradors in mud. And then I'm like, got to pray, got to pray, and I'm rushing. It's, so I'm not anti-technology or anti the use of windows and all that, but it's where do we go first? It's what's most important. Which, where, where are we heading in the morning? What, what, what's the first thing I look at? Is it my Bible or is it my Instagram account? I've had to challenge myself on this, that I have to create these moments of intent 
And then Jesus also not only taught on prayer, but we see that he did pray. As a follower of Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. And there's something about following that says I should do what he did. And so we, we look, I just very briefly want to look at three areas where Jesus prayed. He prayed when life was going well. He prayed when life was busy. And he prayed when he was in crisis. So if we look at the first one, it's kind of like Mark 1 verse 35. Mark's a beautiful book, by the way. It's one of my favorites. Mark is, was written for uh, the church, the the. There's a whole thing called Mark and Priority. It was the first one that was written. They would say that both Matthew and Luke borrow heavily from Mark, that Mark was written for the church in Rome. It was meant to be read out communally in two and a half hours. The whole community would sit and listen to the whole of Mark, and they'd manage to somehow form an entire church without a gospel. (laughs) I mean, without, you know, it's amazing. And so they had this book. And so Mark rocks up and he sends this letter and it talks about the life of Jesus. So when we read Mark, which is actually the easiest of the Gospels to read, it's probably where we can learn so much. And if you're a new believer, if you've just found Jesus or you're thinking about following Jesus, could I recommend that you look at Mark? It's an easier read than all the rest and and super helpful. So Mark 1 verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Life was going very well for Jesus at this point. Uh, you'll read in that whole first chapter that he had basically prayed for Peter's mum and she had become healed. And then all of a sudden the whole town turned up. Literally, Mark 1 verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. We are seeing breakthrough here. This is Jesus and things amazing are happening. People, the whole town have turned up. Shouldn't we just build a revival center here? You know, and, and let everybody just come and meet with Jesus. And then you see that the, the very next morning he gets up. And he goes to pray and the disciples come looking for him and they say, everyone is looking for you. Basically what they're saying is we need to go back. We need to go back and keep building on this breakthrough. Things are going really well. Things are going really good. Let's just keep going. Do you know what I've noticed in my time is that people pray less when things are going well. Seriously. It's why Moses said to the children of Israel, when, it, when you get into the land and it goes well with you in Deuteronomy, don't forget about God. So often when it goes well, we forget about God because life's good. We don't pray. We think life's good and we move along. And before you know it, we start operating in what I would call autopilot. We just do it because we've always done it. It's like Samson. The story of Samson and the Philistines and Delilah ties his hair up. And she says, Samson, the, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson jumps up and he kills all the Philistines. It's a crazy story. And, uh, and, and then the final time in Judges 16, she goes, Samson, the, the Philistines are upon you. And he says this, be- this sad line, I will go out as before. Do you know what? He took the anointing for granted. And she had cut his hair and he was captured and he was imprisoned and it didn't go well for him. Like Joshua, when they were possessing the land, he, there's this whole bit about the Gibeonites. And there's a sad, another sad line in there where it says that they did not inquire of the Lord. Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord. Do you know why? They just won a battle. Everything was going well. So they stopped talking to God. And they just went, we, We've sussed it. We have the formula. This is the way it is. When you're busy, you have to create the space for God to interrupt your life, for God to speak to you. There has got to be a space for divine interruption. Jesus says to the disciples, hey guys, we need to move on from here. We're not going back. 
Uh, let us go somewhere else, he says in Mark 1, verse 38, to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Sometimes we get locked in in a blessed season where we need to keep listening to God. And then busyness. I don't know you, we can all get busy. Then This is Jesus in Mark chapter 6. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. See that? First of all, it's him. Then the true leader that he is, he's taking his disciples and teaching them the same thing. Come away to a quiet place to get some rest. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I don't know about you, but sometimes my garden gets crowded. The crowds show up. There's lots of things happening. I start to lose sight of who I am and start to think about my responsibilities to the world around me. I start to feel the pressure of everything that I'm meant to do, the places I'm meant to go. Next week, I've got to go to this country. And the week after that, I've got to two other countries. You know, and it's all there in my head and I'm thinking it through and I'm busy and it's all crowding in. And before you know it, the crowd has come with me into my prayer time and I'm not focusing on just being with Jesus for pleasure. Success was behind him. He had just fed 5,000 people. The storm was in front of him. And the beautiful line that we read in Mark 6, verse 45 to 46 is immediately Jesus made his disciples get into boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Sometimes it's tough to get to our garden. Sometimes we've got to climb a mountain. Sometimes we've got to push through. I've been, I, was in, uh, I was in Peru last year, and when you get to altitude, I don't know if you've been there, it is really tough to climb some stairs. When you're up at 15,000 feet, it is difficult to climb. And so there's a sense of to go, sometimes it's harder to push ourselves, but we have to, especially when we are busy. And what's really fascinating about this is you read in the story that, that it says that Jesus comes down, and the disciples are in this boat, and there's a big, there's a big storm. And, and, and it says this wonderful line. It says, he was about to pass them by. Has anyone else just thought that is strange? They're struggling. They're all drowning. And Jesus is just, I don't know how Jesus walked, but he's just walking. Not like that. Definitely not like that. It's too bouncy. But uh, anyway, so he, this is strange. I'm going to stop doing it because I feel like, but uh, I'll just sidle over here. Uh, so, but Jesus is walking on the water and said, he's about to pass them by. And you think, that's just such a fascinating... Has anyone else just thought that's strange? Was he just going to leave them to it? Was he just trying to teach them about dependency? What is it? But what you read is this beautiful line about he was about to pass them by. In, in the Greek, it's the same as the Hebrew. And it was Exodus 33, verse 21, where God said to Moses, hide in that rock and I will pass by. It's the same phrase that was in 1 Kings 19, verse 11. It's go and hide there and I will pass by to Elijah. So the author, Mark, was basically indicating to everybody who was reading it, Jesus knew who he was. And this, this line wasn't about him abandoning the disciples. This was a nod to the fact that this was God. He knew who he was. And, it's, and even further, when he steps into the boat, he says, don't be afraid. Ego imi in Greek, which means I am. I am. 
And so all of that we miss sometimes. But Jesus knew who he was. So that in the busyness, he climbed higher. It was almost like he got fresh sense of who he was. And, and the authors could see who he was. And you know, there is something about us and our identity that comes from praying. Spending time with God. There are so many things out there telling us this is where we get our identity from. We get our identity from time with Jesus, from understanding that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that he is for us. I do not get my identity from how many people like a post that I put on Instagram. I don't. I went somewhere once and someone said, what do you do if you don't have 600,000 followers? And I went, you praise the Lord for starters. This is like so much pressure. Do you know what I mean? So there's, there's a whole load of stuff out there about identity and we could do a whole series on it. But the, the reality is that when we pray and when we spend time with Jesus, we start to realize who we are. And then we know who we are. We can walk confidently in who we are because we spend time with the King of Kings, the creator of all things, and he loves us. And then even, and finally, we see Jesus prayed in crisis. They went to a place called Gethsemane in Mark 14, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What a moment of grace and intimacy. I know that many of us will have been through crisis. There will be people in this room today facing crisis. And I, can I just say that it, God will meet us in crisis. It's interesting that Jesus says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So often in my Christian walk, I ask God to come and lift me out. And when I got saved... Psalm 40, you know, I, I lift my, you know, he lift me up out of the, of the mud, out of the mari clay. I, I understand that God does lift people up, but often I'm crying out, God, will you come and, come and lift me out of this? Do you know what he does? He parachutes in and he says, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Whatever you're going through today, God wants you to know I am with you. Whatever crisis you are facing, he is with you. It may not change instantly, but we should always pray that it does, but he is with you. And so we find that in the moment of crisis, Jesus says, take this cup from me, but God doesn't. And then what we understand and what we know is that God was present with him. And God is present with each one of us in crisis. And it's in that prayer time where sometimes we just don't have the words. We don't know what to say. We can't necessarily articulate everything we are feeling. And all we can say is, I need you. Oh, I need you. And God will come and meet us in our crisis. So if you're having a good time, you're living in breakthrough, please, where's your garden? If you're busy, please, where's your garden? If you're in crisis, the garden is possibly the only thing you have right now. And I believe that in all those areas, God wants to come and meet us. And so as we look at breakthrough, as we look at fasting, as we look at pushing forward, we probably don't want to just have one really great week. We need to have a rhythm of encounter built into our everyday lives so that we live as people of the faith in our everyday world. So I just want to pray, if that's okay. 
Thank you so much for listening to me, by the way. I appreciate your attentiveness. Father, I thank you that you are more attentive even than this wonderful crowd. That you are watching each one of us. That you care deeply for each one of us. That your primary expression towards us is a smile. We thank you that you desire an encounter with us. And I pray for each one of us, no matter what season of life we are in right now, that we would find a garden, a space and a place where we could meet with you on a regular basis. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. We are grateful that you joined us today for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. There is a daily devotional companion for Breakthrough this week. This will help you spend time with God every day. You can find the daily devotional on the Brookwood Church app. And on the app, you'll notice that there is a way that you can share the day's devotion you're reading with your friends and family through text messaging, email, or your social media. Be sure to listen to the next two bonus episodes dropping this week for Breakthrough, a challenge for us to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ through intentional times of fasting and prayer.